Sorry about that. Revelation chapter 3 tonight. Revelation chapter number 3. <clears throat> We're going to start looking at a, another one of these one of these churches tonight, Lord willing. And I'm looking forward to that. Page 1333. If you've got an old Schofield Bible, if you're not, you know, the book of Revelation is the last book of your Bible. So Revelation chapter number 3. If you're there, would you say amen? All right. Let's, uh, let's start reading these verses. We're going to start reading verse number 1 tonight. And we're going to read down to verse number 6. Here's what it says. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they that shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name of the book, out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for your word. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help me now as we take a look at your word. Lord, to remember what you gave me when I studied and help me to preach it effectively and clearly to your people. God, I pray, Lord, you'd bless your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, you know, if you've been with us for the past oh, five or so Wednesday nights, uh, I'm excluding last week, so six Wednesday nights or so, we've been in a series of messages I've entitled The Seven Churches. And the reason why I've entitled it that is that you and I have been looking at the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, again, let me just remind you that you and I, it's important to remember that these churches that you see in Revelation 2 and 3, they were, they were historical churches. They physically existed. I mean, these these churches they 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 prayed together and they met together. They worshipped together. They cried together. They laughed together. They served together and they saw soul, soul saved together. These seven churches that we're looking at, they were physically existent churches. They historically existed. And the human author of the book of John, of the book of the Revelation, the Apostle John, he is sitting down to write this book of the Revelation to these seven churches. But we also have to remember that while the human author of this book is writing to seven historical and physical churches, the divine author of this book, the Holy Spirit, is writing to the seven churches that we see here, which you and I can see all throughout church, church history. I mean, these seven churches, the characteristic and the makeup of these churches can be found not only in the timeline of the church, but they can be found in the personality and the characteristics of churches even today and the people of the churches today. That's why it's so important to me that you and I study and understand the things about these churches that please God, but also the things in which God was displeased so that you and I can, and our church and ourselves can be sure that you and I are always pleasing our master. Now, we've gone through four of these seven churches so far. And if you'll remember, we started off with that church at Ephesus. And I've called that church the 
calloused church. Oh, this church was a busy church, if you'll remember. I mean, they worked hard. They had great faith. I mean, they were doing on a seemingly was a good job, a busy church, but yet their condemnation was this, that they had left their first love. Oh, and all their busyness and all their programs and all their, their visitations and all their, their, their things they had going on. The one thing they, 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 they had missed out on was the reason why they were doing it. They had missed out on the fact that they were going on visitation because they loved their master. They had all their programs together because they loved their master. They, 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 they had become so calloused in their busyness. And then we moved over to that church at Smyrna. And we called that church the crushed church because of all of these churches, every one of these seven churches, they all experienced some persecution. But yet the church at Smyrna, above all the other seven, seemed to have greater persecution than any of the others. I mean, this church had experienced persecution after persecution. I mean, one of their preachers, a man named Polycarp, was killed because of his faith. And yet God tried to encourage him, the Lord Jesus, to encourage him to stay faithful even in the midst of persecution. And then we looked at the church at Pergamos. And we called that church the compromised church. The church at Pergamos, oh, they 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 had begun to they had begun to allow <clears throat> they had begun to allow compromising in the middle of their church. They had adopted the, what the Bible called the doctrine of Balaam, where they had become just like the churches around them. They had poured in a lot of compromising into their church. Last time we were we looked at these churches, we talked about Thyatira, the corrupted church. Well, tonight you and I are going to move to the fifth church of these seven, and that is the church at Sardis. Now, to give you some background on Sardis, let me tell you, Sardis was an ancient city. It was once the capital of a region called Lydia when it was owned by the Persian Empire. But in about 350 B.C., a man by the name of Alexander the Great, he came into that city and liberated that city from the Persian Empire, and it became part of the Roman Empire. But like other cities in Rome, Sardis was a pagan city that worshipped many false gods along with Caesar. The main uh, false god that they worshipped was a goddess by the name of Artemis. And she was supposedly the goddess of the hunt among many, many other things. Sardis itself also had within its city limits the largest synagogue in Asia Minor. Most historians believe that it would seem like Sardis was a very inclusive city when it came to other gods as long as your God was not greater than Caesar. But it was in this city that a church was founded. Now Sardis, like other early churches, probably started in the home of a believer. Most early New Testament churches, as they begin to grow in these hostile environments like Sardis, would find themselves growing in the home of a believer where, where the church would meet together and learn together and grow together. Now, can I just stop and say that I thank God that I live in a country where house churches really are not needed. Now, I know you and I have brethren across the world tonight where because of their faith in Christ that they're living in a very hostile environment and they must meet secretly in the home of other believers. I mean, we have missionaries in, in places like China or the Middle East where just because of their faith, their life is in harm's way. And because of that, to meet together, they must travel in secret and they must meet together in secret in the homes of other believers. But can I just tell you, I thank God that right here in America, 
America, you and I have the joy of meeting together in a public building that you and I call a church. There's some men who, now I, I get it, there's some men who feel the call of God in their life to maybe go start a church somewhere, and they begin that church in their home. And, and, and right here in America, but, but they do so with the intention of moving that church out of their home and into a public building. In fact, I, can I just, if you just let me go on a rabbit trail for a second, I, I tend to hesitate and, and try hard and, and try hard to have some discernment when it comes to people who go to church at home. Man, can I just say, many times it would seem like those churches at home are focused solely on family and not really on the Great Commission. Now listen, let me just say this. I, I think the family's important. I think the family was ordained by God before the church was ordained. But can I just say, when God died for the church, He died for the New Testament church and He gave the New Testament church a great commission. And that commission was to take the gospel that they had and to go to the whole world and share that gospel. And sometimes, in some cases, home churches are focused solely around one thing and that's the family, the commission. Home churches sometimes, many times, they're begun out of problems. I mean, somebody in, a, in a, somebody in a family gets crossed with a preacher or with a member of the church somewhere, and then what they do is they just give, they just kind of leave the church, and they go, they say, well, we'll just have church at home, and they, they begin to meet together at home, and they, a home church to start out of problems. And really, can I just say, the greatest, the scariest part about home churches in our day here in America is this, is that there's absolutely no accountability to that home church. Can I just say, I, I, I like meeting together right here in public and I really hope every one of you bring your Bible here because that way you can hold me accountable. Man, the preacher's got to have some accountability, does he not? Hey, that way when I get up here and say the Bible says this, that my Bible agrees with your Bible and that way you and I can, that way you know I'm not giving you anything false and we're not moving off into some craziness. Hey, there's no accountability. Now, I do know this, that many church, that the church may have started in the home like it did here in Sardis. And I know that before the Lord comes, the church may end up right back in homes. Hey, you and I have no idea what's going to happen in the church. Hey, it may come down the road, not too far down the road, where I say, hey, listen, this next Sunday we're going to have to meet at, meet at Brother David's house, and we'll all have to kind of drive, secretly drive our way over to his house to meet together. Who knows what the church is going to wind up before it's all said and done. But I do know, that, I do know this, that right now, <coughs> that right now, especially here in America, America I thank God, that I can meet together in public with you in a church. Can I get an amen? Now, that's the commercial over. Back to our regularly scheduled message. This little house church in Sardis gets a message directly from the Lord, from the hand of John, and it has great significance with it. And I want to, if I can, with the time we've got, I want to kind of look at these verses together, and I want to share this, this important message that we have here to this church of Sardis. First of all, can we talk about what I would call a resemblance exposed? A resemblance exposed. Now, <coughs> excuse me, look at verse number one. It says this, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, the seven, uh, has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Now, in that one verse, we see that there's a resemblance exposed in this verse. I was reading about this this week. In Victorian England, there was a very morbid practice that became fashionable, and it was called this, memento mori. Now, you have to remember that in Victorian England, England, England times, uh, 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 that life they lived was very rampant with death, with death. 
I mean, epidemic outbreaks of things like diphtheria and typhus and cholera scarred that country, causing many young children to lose their precious lives at the hands of these great epidemics. But they also have to remember that photography was a, very, was a relatively new thing and, and it was also a very expensive thing. But a practice became very popular in that day in that parents in their grief and their desire to remember their, their, their dead loved ones began to pay to have their recently deceased children photographed. Memento Mora was what it was called. Now the family and the photographer took great pains to pose the child and to make it look as make them look as lifelike as possible. For instance, they would have a, a, a child look like they were asleep on the floor while the rest of the family posed around them. And sometimes after the photographer had processed the photo, they would paint eyes on the deceased to make them look like they were, al- they were awake and alive. In the picture, they may have looked awake, but in reality... The sad thing was is that they were, they were dead. You know, that's exactly, <clears throat> that's exactly the accusation that this church has from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says this at the end of that verse, Thou hast a name that thou livest, and it says this, And art dead. <laughs> this church, the Lord Jesus looks at this church and says, Hey, your name says you're alive, but in reality, can I tell you, you're dead. Your church is dead. What in the world made this church dead? Well, what's interesting to me is that when you read through this, there's no specific accusation that the Lord Jesus makes against this church. Now, in previous churches we've read about, the Lord makes a specific accusation. For instance, the church at Thyatira, there was a, 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 a false teacher there, and he called, that, he called her name Jezebel. Did he not remember that? Good night. What an accusation. But there's no specific accusation that the Lord Jesus makes against this church while he calls them dead. So while, I, I, while you and I cannot be 100% certain, I, you and I can do some research into this church and you and I may be, may be able to come up with a good answer for why the Lord Jesus would look at this church and say, hey, on the outside you may look alive, but can I tell you something? Church at Sardis, on the inside you're dead. You're dead as four o'clock. And I'll tell you why. Look, I, when, when I, do you remember when, when I told you that Sardis seemed to be a very inclusive city? It was in this city that the largest synagogue in Asia Minor was located. Well, it would seem like the pressure of inclusivity had caused this church in Sardis to fall, to become dead. I found this out as I was studying for this message that during the excavations there in the church, at, there in the city of Sardis, when they began to excavate out the synagogue, they found there in the altar, in that synagogue, the altar of the synagogue. And on that altar were two very interesting things. One of them was they found the names of the Jewish people who worshipped there in the synagogue. They had written their names on that altar as a as a memento that they were people who worshipped there at that synagogue. But the interesting thing was was that they had written their names in Greek. Now that may not sound like that much to you and I, but you and I have to remember that how important the, the names were to Jewish people, to Hebrew culture. Their names were, were, were not Greek names, but they were Hebrew names. Now do you remember, I mean, remember over there in the book of Daniel where we find out in Daniel 1 that Nebuchadnezzar has come and he's taking God's people away from the Jerusalem and he took them to Babylon. What was the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did to, the, to those, those, those Hebrew boys when he brought them back to Babylon? He changed their name. 
He gave them Babylonian names. But yet here in this, the Jewish people were very proud of their names. They had great significance. And yet these Jews here in Sardis, in an attempt to remain inclusive, adopted Greek names so not to offend anybody around them. Secondly, on this altar, there was a Roman eagle there on that altar, there in Sardis. And it was a symbol of Roman rule. Now that's a far cry, is it not, from their Jewish brethren there in Jerusalem who hated the Roman oppression and had a desire to break free of the Roman oppression. Here in the city of Sardis, they, they had married together their faith and their together. And they didn't want to offend anybody, so they, they adopted cultural symbols of Rome. But can I just say, while we this, this inclusivity also had made its way into this little church at Sardis as well. In a, another excavation I was reading about, there, in that, there they found an ancient market there in Sardis. And they found in this ancient market, market two stalls in which a person sold their goods and wares. On one, on one stall was a symbolism for a Jewish believer. It's signifying that the person who sold there was a Jewish, a Jewish, a Jewish uh, man or woman, and, and, and they, that's where they sold their goods and wear. Yet right next to that stall was another stall in which a Roman cross was etched, signifying that the person who sold their wares there was a Christian. Now hold on. That may not sound like, like, like much to you and I today, but do you remember what I told you? A couple weeks ago, about that about that church at Thyatira, I mean they, the the great problem with that church, the, the great hardship of the church at Thyatira was this: that there was a there was a few but faithful Christians who refused to be the, the, corrupted by the teachings of Jezebel, and because they refused to, uh, to adopt the teachings of that Jezebel, the Bible the, we learned from history that they were kicked out of their they were kicked out of their their uh, their trade guilds, and they were unable to work and take care of their families because they didn't want to they didn't want to give in to the the sin around them and it cost them their jobs and it cost them their careers because they didn't want to they didn't want to just kind of give in to the wrong that was going on but yet here in this city with the same Roman rule you find Christians who were able to sell their wares and live their life and I'll tell you why because they had bought into the idea of inclusivity or another good word for that would be pluralism it would in the, it, the, while they while they while this church in Sardis may not have corrupted itself uh, by adopting the practices of pagan worship, they did begin to believe and practice the message of pluralism. What I mean to say is this: instead of preaching that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life, that He was the only way to get to heaven, they had begun to adopt a message that everyone, as long as they were sincere in their beliefs, that they were all okay for eternity. It was a message of this of just going along to get along. I mean, in, in doing so, they were free from persecution and they were free from offending any government or anybody. I mean, what, what made this church on the outside appear alive was that they had all their, they had all their meetings and they got together and they, they looked at the Word of God and, and they talked together and they met together. And on the outside, it may have looked alive, but on the inside, this church was dead. And I'll tell you why this church was dead, because they had murdered the message of the gospel. Oh, friend, you and I have to, have to understand that while the message of the gospel, while it's wonderful and while it's liberating, it is also divisive because it leaves no room for anything else. Jesus is the Savior of the world, but He is the only Savior. There are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way to heaven. And can I just say, can I just
surface, I couldn't help but see a picture of the country you and I live in, in Sardis. Oh, we live in a day and age of pluralism. And we cry, and the cry from our culture today is a cry of going along to get along. We're all pressured from all sides to adopt this idea of inclusivity. And it's sad to say that many self-professing Christians have thought, have, have bought in to that idea. I mean, back in 2012, on a Larry King interview, there was a man whose name was Joel Osteen. And can I just stop and say, Joel Osteen is nothing more than a false prophet. And I'll just blame it. It makes you mad. Hey, I love you. But this is what he said. He was there. He was there. And, uh, he was there at that Larry King interview. And Larry King began to pressure him and say, Hey, listen, you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He said, But what about a Muslim? Hey, what about a Hindu? Are you telling me that they have no access to heaven? And when they die, they're not going to go to the heaven because you say that Jesus is the only way? And he began to pressure. And, and Joel Austin there was there. And he began to hem and haw. And Larry King would not let up. And he began to say, Well, tell me what the answer is. Hey, you're a preacher. Tell me what the answer is. Is Jesus the only way? Or are there many ways? And the response from Joel Osteen was this. He said this, I don't know. I'm not going to be the judge of that. Only God knows. But for me, I believe in Jesus. Oh, friend, can I just say, that is the textbook answer for pluralism. If you don't listen, that you can find it. I found it on YouTube. I wanted to hear it for myself. He said it in 2012. It's on YouTube. But friend, you and I, we live in a day and age where we don't want to offend. We don't want to make definite statements. We want, we want to just kind of go along to get along. So as long as people are sincere, they're, then they're okay. But yeah, friend, that's just simply not the case. Hey, can I just say, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a dead church. Hey, listen, I, I, I want to be in a place where the Holy Spirit is free to move and free to work. But I'll tell you this, the, only, the, the, the Holy Spirit is not going to work in a place where you and I murder the message of the gospel. Because the Holy Spirit will only work in a place where you and I exalt Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit's here. Hey, Jesus himself told us that in John 16 as he's walking his disciples from that upper room through the Kidron Valley to the garden there where he's going to pray before he's arrested. He begins to tell his disciples about what's getting ready to happen. And he begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit who's going to come and work in their hearts. And here's what he says in John 16, verse 13 and 14. How be it when he... The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is come. He will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things that come. He said this, this is Jesus speaking, he shall glorify me. The Holy Spirit works in a place where people want to glorify Jesus Christ, where people want to exalt Jesus Christ, where people want to make much of Jesus Christ. And the only way you and I can make much, make, make much of Jesus is to make sure that we tell the truth that He is the only way, that He's not a way, He's not one of many ways. He is simply the only way to get to heaven. Hey, I, 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 listen, I... Um, let me just say quickly that I believe at this church, I want everybody to be welcome. I don't care what their ethnicity is. I don't care what their background is. Hey, literally anyone and everyone ought to be welcome here at this church. But I will say this. If you and I ever come to a place where we don't magnify the Son of God and the message of the gospel in order to grow a crowd or in order to make sure we don't offend anyone, then friend, I'm going to tell you what's happened. You and I have murdered the message of, uh, message of the gospel. You and I may turn the lights on. Hey, we may have people in the seats. Hey, we may have music on the stage. We may even have someone stand up and preach what you and I would call a sermon, but on the outside, while you and I may have all the signs of life, on the inside, we're dead because we murdered the message of the gospel. And you and I would do better to just shut the doors and go home rather than just placate people with a false sense of hope and their eternity. Amen. A resemblance exposed.
He said, you're doing all the things. Hey, on the outside, I mean, people walk past. They see, you, they see you meet together. They see you sing the songs. They see you do this. They see you do that. But at the end of the day, hey, you're dead because you don't want to preach the truth about Jesus Christ and him being the only way to heaven. Friend, can I just say, listen, I'm not knocking anybody. I got no ax to grind tonight. I really don't. But can I just say, in this, this, in this whole world where you and I are pressured to give in to, 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 to this, woke, this woke mob, and this whole idea that you and I are supposed to just say, hey, it's all a okay. Hey, you believe what you want to believe. Hey, you, you, you be sincere. You go the way you want to go. At the end of the day, God's no, hey, listen, I'm not the judge. Only God can judge. You just be sincere. It'll be okay. Friend, you and I, if we buy into that, if we live by that, if we stand by that, if we preach by that, you and I have murdered the message of the gospel because Jesus Christ, he is the only way. He's the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. A resemblance exposed. But then I like this. I go on to see what I would call a recall enacted. So here, here the Lord Jesus is and he gives this church is problem. Hey, on the out, hey, you say you're alive, but on the inside, you're, you're dead. But then he immediately turns around and gives them their solution. Can I just say, I'm glad the Lord doesn't just tell us what our problems are and all the things we've done wrong, and he gives you and I a solution to fix the problems of our life. He does that through the Word of God. What a second, first Second Timothy 3.16 says this. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word of God helps us. Doctrine, that tells us what is right. Hey, uh, reproof, that tells you and I what's not right. Correction, that tells you and I how to get things right. And then instruction in righteousness, that tells you and I how to keep things right. The Word of God, it will reprove. Hey, I don't know about you, but I've been reproved by the Word of God plenty of times in my life. But it doesn't just leave me there bleeding in my sin and my sorrow and my mess up. He tells me, hey, son, hey, you may have messed up, but I'll tell you how you can get it right. And he does so right here for this church at Sardis. This church got its reproof, and now comes the correction. The Lord gives this church a few things to do in order to correct its mistake. First of all, he tells them this, verse 2. Look what it says. Be watchful. Be watchful. What does that word watchful mean? Well, it really just simply means to guard. To guard. They were to understand how, how precious this message of Jesus Christ was and then to set a guard about the message of the gospel. It gives the idea of a king who, who loves his kingdom so he builds walls around it and he puts soldiers on that wall to keep it from, in, from incoming attacks and invasions. Friend, can I just say, when it comes to the message of this Bible, when it comes to the message of the gospel, you and I, we have got to be watchful of this message. Friend, you and I have got to set guards about it. We have to understand how precious it is. Hey, the gospel message is what changed your life. The gospel message is what changed my life. The gospel message will change the whole world. Oh, friend, listen, the hope of, the, the hope of America is not found in anything going on in Washington right now or in Raleigh or at the City Hall in Winston-Salem. The hope for America it's found in the gospel. But what are you and I doing if you and I ever water down the gospel? If we ever placate people with the gospel? No, friend, you and I have got to know how precious it is and how important it is. And you and I have got to stand and put watches around it, put, put a guard around it to make sure the message of the gospel is never tainted. It's never diluted. It's never messed with. Be watchful. Be watchful. Then he says this. 
I like this in verse number 2. He says, be watchful. He says this, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Now that word strengthen, what does that word strengthen mean? Well, really, the word strengthen is the same. It it, it means to, to stand or to establish or to turn resolutely in a certain direction. That's what the word strengthen means. Hey, not only should you and I set guards about the gospel, but I'll tell you what else you and I should do. We should stand firm upon the truth of the gospel. Hey, listen, I understand. Hey, listen, I understand pressure. Hey, I understand what, that, that, that there are people today who look at you and I and they say we're nothing but a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, uh, of hip, uh, a bunch of, uh, we're, we're nothing but a bunch of uh, narrow-minded uh, Baptists. Oh, we, we're just, we just, we don't, we don't understand. And they say to you and I, hey, if you want to grow your church, I'll tell you what you ought to do. Hey, can I, can I back off on that gospel preaching a little bit? Hey, I tell you what, if you want to have more friends, if you want to have more influence, want to have more power. Hey, I tell you what you ought to do. Hey, lay off the gospel a little bit, but friend, you and I don't need to back off the gospel. What you and I ought to do is just stand firm. Make a decision to stand firm on what the gospel has to say. Listen, I understand that the gospel, it's good for everybody and it's needed for everybody, but I also understand that the gospel is a very divisive thing because it calls people to come to the truth and the reality of their life. And that's simply this, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus and Him alone. But friend, while we understand that all that may happen and some will hear and be saved and some will hear and they'll reject. It doesn't mean you and I back up. It doesn't mean you and I step back. It means you and I make a choice to stand firm and strengthen the things which remain. Oh, friend, hey, listen, I'll tell you this. I believe with all my heart at some point pluralism will find its end. Oh, there'll come a day and age where all this inclusivity and all this, all this, all this, all this, everybody's right and do what you believe and you feel that'll come to a day and age where it's all going to end. And when it does end, somebody better be standing there with the truth. Somebody had better have the right message. And friend, I hope and I pray to the Lord that it'll be us, that we don't back up and we don't give in. We just make a choice to stand firm no matter what may come, to strengthen. But I like this. He says this in verse number three. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. <coughs> That word remember, it means to to recollect, but it also means this, to make mention of. I like that. You ever done that before? Man, I'm getting to the age now where I just like to, I like to recollect a lot of stuff. And I look at my wife and say, hey, do you remember when? Hey, do you remember this? You remember? And we always make mention of all those things we've heard before. Hey, can I just say, when it comes to the truth of the gospel, hey, what he's telling this church is this. Hey, remember what you heard before. Remember how the gospel changed your life. Remember the message you heard that changed your life. And then don't just remember it. Hey, speak often about it. Hey, stand up. Stand firm. Set a watch. Set a guard. Hey, stand on it. But then speak about it to everyone you meet. Oh, Frank, can I just say, can I just, just say to our church, hey, there there ought, to be, there ought to be every once in a while somebody to stand up and remember and recollect and speak about the gospel. Oh, Frank, can I just say there's a lot of pressure on preachers today to lay off the gospel and to, be, and to move over and to have a series about, about finances and series about families and series about this and series about that. But can I just say, hey, the gospel, when I understand the gospel, the gospel's good for my finances because I'll understand that everything I've got, hey, it was given, given to me by the Lord who saved my soul and changed my life and 
if he gave it all to me, hey, I don't want to give it all to him and I'll just be a good steward to him. Hey, when I understand the gospel and what it did for my life, it'll help my family because I'll understand that the same gospel that changed my life is good for my family. And I, Listen, at the end of the day, you and I have got to stand firm, set a watch about and, set, and stand firm on that gospel and preach it. Hey, listen, friend, hey, I, we ought to have, I, listen, I know I'm the preacher and I'm kind of preaching about what I ought to do, but friend, let's not apologize for it. Let's not back up on it. Let's just stand up and just say, hey, Here's what the gospel has to say. I hope, you, I hope you hear it. I hope you get saved. Remember it. But then he says this. And he goes on to say in verse 3. Uh, and hold fast, and he says this. And repent. Oh, that's the hard part, isn't it? You see, this church had made an error. These people had made an error. They had moved away from the truth. They had, in, in their effort to maybe keep their, keep, keep, keep their job or their career, to get that promotion, in their effort to just kind of maybe just kind of go along to get along and never want to offend anybody, they had, they had murdered the message of the gospel. And now they were dead. And the only way to get it right and the only way to set that church back on the right path was to repent, to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've messed up. And remember what I've told you, that word repent, it ain't just an apology. It's a decision to make a 180 degree turn and go the other direction. Now what that means is this, is that is that, that means that they're going to have to move out of that market because they can't, they can't always appease everybody around them. And they may lose jobs. And they may, lose, they may lose family. And they may lose friends. And they may lose promotions. And their life may be turned upside down. But yet, they'd rather please God than just make themselves happy and satisfied. To repent. Oh, friend, what a, what a challenge that is. But can I just say, there's also a reminder in verse 3 that if this church does not watch and strengthen, and repent, and return, uh, sorry, and, and, and remember and repent, then in the end, the Lord says, I'll just come, and I'll just, take, I'll just take your light from your church. Look what he says in the end of verse 3. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Oh, friend, that is a dangerous a dangerous price to pay for, for, a, for a watering down of the gospel message. Friend, can I just say, I wonder how many churches have shut their doors and walked away because they watered down the message. They didn't want to offend anybody. They, they, didn't, want to, they didn't want to make somebody mad. And because of that, the Lord said, okay, if you don't want my message, then I won't be where you are. And he came and took the light from that candle, that church, and shut them down. Friend, I don't know about you, but I, but I, I believe with all my heart that what, but what this Clemens area needs and what the Louisville area needs, it needs a church that will stand up. Hey, listen, we got churches all around. We got churches all over the place in this day and age. They just want to kind of water things down and make things comfortable. But what, this, what, this, what we really need is people just stand up and say, hey, here's the truth, and I love you, and I want you to be saved, but I'm not going to water it down for you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Because that, that's the kind of church the Lord will show up and work in. There's a, there's a, excuse me, good night. 
Lose my voice. There's a real resemblance exposed, and there's a um, my goodness, I'm sorry, a recall enacted. But can I just say this? There's a remnant extolled. Look at look at verse number four. <coughs> I like this verse. It says this. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, verse 4 introduces us to a great thought, and that's the thought about the remnant. The remnant. I like the remnant in the Bible. I mean, you're, you and I are introduced to that idea of the remnant all the way back there in 1 Kings chapter number 19, I believe it is. Man, Elijah... He came down from Mount Carmel. He, 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 had, he, he had stood before Ahab and said, hey, it's not going to rain for three years. It's not going to rain till my word, till, till, till the Lord tells me to tell you it's going to rain. And then he had that great, that great confrontation on top of Mount Carmel where he stood against the prophets of Baal and he called down fire from heaven. He walked off of that. I mean, he had, had, he had been fed by ravens and he had, been, he had been sustained by that widow woman. I mean, Elijah had had, had, had had victory after victory after victory. And yet Elijah, like a lot of us was, he kind of got to a place where he kind of got down on him on his own self. <laughs> Jezebel came, sent a servant to Elijah, and he said, listen, and she said, hey, hey, listen, I, before the day's out, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And Elijah gets down on the dumps about it all. He, he kind of starts to have a pity party. He looks up to heaven and says, Lord, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's serving you. Everybody else has bowed their knee to Baal. It's only me. And, 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 and the Bible says that, that the Lord came and the Lord, and the Lord took Elijah up on top of a mountain and he, and he showed him a Great wind, the Lord wasn't in it. And he showed him an earthquake that the Lord wasn't in. And he showed him a fire that the Lord wasn't in. But then a still small voice spoke to Elijah, comforting Elijah and taking care of Elijah. And he said, and that voice said to Elijah, you don't even understand, Elijah. There's 7,000 people in Jerusalem who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. The Lord always has a remnant. And right here in Sardis, there's still a remnant. There's still a group of people... <coughs> While it may have seen that whole, that whole church at Sardis, well, they, they, they were all giving in and placating. They were all giving in to pluralism and, and not wanting to offend nobody. There was still a group there that said, listen, we're just going to be right. Hey, at the end of the day, hey, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I just want to be right with the Bible. I just want to do what the Bible says. And he said right there in verse number four, there's a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. Now, what garments is he talking about there? Is he talking about their earthly garments they were wearing? No, friend. He's talking about their spiritual garments, their wedding garments. Hey, can I remind you and I, you and I are heading to a wedding one day where the, where the bridegroom, our heavenly father, our, our savior's going to come and he's going to take his bride away. We're heading to a wedding down the road one day. But friend, that means you and I are wearing our wedding garments and you and I don't want to do anything to, to defile that garment you and I are wearing. Hey, that's what James tells you and I is pure religion. What does he say over there in James 1.27? Pure religion, uh, pure religion, uh, let me just find it for you. It's a good verse. Uh, he, James 1.27, I had it written down, but I don't know what happened. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before, before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And he says this, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. 
Hey, that ought to be the desire of every one of us. Hey, listen, you and I ought not to want to do anything to defile the garment that our, our Savior has given to us. We ought to want to keep ourselves unspotted from this world. Hey, and I'll tell you what will spot a church more than anything else is when you and I begin to water it down and take the message of the gospel and we begin to begin to kind of water it down and make it and make it to where we don't, we don't want to preach the full message. We don't want to offend anybody and we don't want to tell the truth about what the gospel has to say. Then you and I are defiling ourselves. And you and I want to, not to want to ever defile our garments. I do like what he says there in verse number four. They have not defiled themselves. And I like what he says. And they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Verse number five says, He that over, overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Hey, I like that thought because that just reminds me one more time. While it may have seemed to the church at Sardis that everybody else was winning, that all that, that, that Rome was winning, that, 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 that all the persecution that was coming their way was just causing problems. I like what Jesus says. Hey, if you'll just stay faithful, I'll not forget you. Hey, in the end, can I just remind our church that Jesus still wins. Hey, in the end, while it may seem like all the pressures from outside to cause you and I to want it to change and to give in. Well, we, 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 may, we may find ourselves saying, listen, I'm tired of the fight. I'm tired of causing problems. I'm tired of offending. I just want to remind you, let's stay faithful. Let's be a remnant. Hey, let's be a group of people who say no matter what happens, hey, whether, whether, God, whether, whether the church grows or whether it doesn't grow, whether, whether we fill up or we just stay a, a, a faithful few, whatever the case is, let's just be a remnant that obeys God and pleases God and doesn't water down the message and just preaches the truth no matter what may happen. Let's stay a faithful remnant because in the end my Savior still wins. Amen. And when I go to heaven I don't want to have defiled the garment He gave me because I didn't want to offend anybody here. Now listen, I want to contend for the faith. I don't want to be contentious about the faith. I, 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 I'm okay with standing and fighting for what's right. That doesn't mean I go looking for a fight. Does that make sense? However, it comes down to it, if it comes down to it, and somebody doesn't like our message and they don't want to be a part of our church, hey, listen, that's not my battle. I don't fight that battle. I just want to stand right where God told me to stand. I just want to stay faithful to the Word of God. Hey, I just want to be right where I'm supposed to be. And then in the end, when the Lord comes back, I want to be sure I've done my best to keep my, my garment unspotted by the world. That means I don't want to, I don't want to give in. I don't want to water it down. Hey, I don't want our church to come to a place where we do all we go through all the motions, we do all the things on the outside, but inside we're dead because we watered down the message, because we took the gospel and we've just made it pluralistic. Let's stay faithful. Let's stay faithful. Head bowed and eyes closed. Nobody. Looks